Yeah, today's reading is Psalm 147. That's Psalm 147, or page 632 in the Church Bibles. Praise the Lord. How good it is to sing praises to our God. How pleasant and fitting to praise him. The Lord builds up Jerusalem. He gathers the exiles of Israel. He heals the brokenhearted and binds up their wounds. He determines the number of the stars and calls them each by name. Great is our Lord and mighty in power. His understanding has no limit. The Lord sustains the humble but casts the wicked to the ground. Sing to the Lord with grateful praise. Make music to our gods on the harp. He covers the sky with clouds. He supplies the earth with rain and makes grass grow on the hills. He provides food for the cattle and for the young ravens when they call. His pleasure is not in the strength of the horse, nor his delights in the legs of the warrior. The Lord delights in those who fear him, who put their hope in his unfailing love. Extol the Lord, Jerusalem. Praise your God, Zion. He strengthens the bars of your gates and blesses your people within you. He grants peace to their borders and satisfies you with the finest of wheat. He sends his command to the earth. His word runs swiftly. He spreads the snow like wool and scatters the frost like ashes. He hurls down hail like pebbles. Who can withstand his icy blast? He sends his words and melts them. He stirs up his breezes and the waters flow. He has revealed his word to Jacob, his laws and decrees to Israel. He has done this for no other nation. They do not know his laws. Praise the Lord. I was speaking at a conference yesterday in London um, uh, called um, the Enjoying God in Song Conference. I've been preparing it this last week and uh, I've been so enjoying it. I thought, you know, I want to speak on this topic at Highfields today because it's a, an important topic. And um, the, the, the study in the, the, the end of 1 Corinthians 11, actually there's nothing kind of super time critical on that. So we're going to do the, the 1 Corinthians 11 in the autumn when we carry on God willing our series through uh, that very important book. So now's the time to grab a Bible or find your uh, phone or, or app or something like that and uh, turn to Psalm 147 as you're doing so. Let me remind you, if you uh, maybe you've heard this one before, but an old farmer once upon a time went to a city and uh, one weekend and attended a big city church and uh, went home and his wife asked him how the church service was. It was good, uh, said uh, the farmer. I enjoyed it, but they did something different. They sang worship songs instead of hymns. Worship songs? Asked his wife, well, what are the worship songs? Um, uh, well, worship songs, they're, they're okay. They're like him, they're only a bit different. What's the difference, asked his wife. Well, said the farmer, if I were to say to you, Martha, the cows are in the corn. That would be a hymn. If, on the other hand, I were to say to you, Martha, 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 oh, Martha, 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 the cows, the cows, the big cows, the black cows, the black and white cows are in the corn. Are in the corn. Are in the corn. The corn. The corn. 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 And I repeat the whole thing two or three times. That would be a worship song. As providence would have it, that same Sunday, a young new Christian from the big city church attended a small town country church. His wife asked him, "How was church this morning? It was good. I enjoyed it. They did something a bit different, though. They sang hymns instead of worship songs. Hymns?" Asked his wife, "What are they?" 
Oh, they like worship songs, replied uh, the young man, only a bit different. Well, what's the difference, asked his wife. Well, if I were to say to you, Martha, the cows are in the corn. That would be a worship song. If, on the other hand, I were to say to you, Martha, dear Martha, hear thou my cry. Incline this thine ear to the words of my mouth. Hear thou thy whole wondrous ear by and by of the righteous, inimitable, glorious truth. For the way of the animals, who can explain? There in their heads is no shadow of sense. Hearkenest they in God's son or his reign, unless from the mild, tempting corn they are fenced. Yea, those cows, those cows in glad bovine, rebellious delight, have broke free their shackles, their warm pens eschewed, then goaded by minions of darkness and light, they all my mild, golden, sweet corn have chewed. So look to that bright shining day by and by, where all foul corruptions of earth are reborn, where no vicious animal makes my soul cry, and I no longer see those foul cows in the corn. And if I was to do the whole thing, and then a key change on the fourth verse, that would most definitely be a hymn. Now, when we uh, gather, hopefully you found one, Psalm 147 by now, and that was the... the When we gather as God's people each week, we come together from different backgrounds, different temperaments, different musical styles and tastes, uh, different emotional registers that do it for us. Even this morning we've sung different hymns and part of the services here at Highfields, we we seek to engage all of us as best as we can and we know we've got to compromise a little bit. So we'll have an older hymn, we'll have some newer hymns, we'll have a children's hymn because we are one body of Christ together seeking to engage and enjoy God in song together. Um, But we even come with different reasons to be here as we sing God's praises. Uh, So um, uh, we sing uh, for one another's good. That's one of the reasons we, we come together, what you might call um, horizontal edification. Okay, That's one reason why we gather. We, we sing to rehearse biblical truth to one another. That's why, by the way, when we weren't allowed to gather for, for that first lockdown, it was so traumatic for us. Because um, you, know, it, you just couldn't kind of see one another to encourage one another. You know, we, we're all so vitally needed to be here to see one another horizontally. And Zoom just doesn't do it or YouTube just doesn't do that. It was why it was so traumatic when we all had to be masked up um, for so long. Um, and uh, it's been lovely the last few months where we've been able to be free. And uh, where we can actually see each other. We can see our mother look around and uh, edify and encourage one another. I'm not the only Christian in Cardiff. I'm not the only Christian in Penarth, wherever I'm coming. I just think it's so beautiful to be able to see each other as we sing God's praises. So we sing for one another horizontally. We also, though, sing for God's glory. That's what you might call vertical devotion. So it's not just about kind of encouraging each other. It's about God. It's about worshipping God. Famously, uh, Colossians chapter 3 verse 16 uh, says, Let the message of Christ dwell among you richly as each and admonish one another with all wisdom through psalms, hymns and songs from the Spirit, singing to God with gratitude in your heart. So there's horizontal edification. That's the... uh, Uh, Let the message of Christ dwell among you richly as you teach and admonish one another. That's the horizontal dimension to what's going on. And there's a vertical dimension to what's going on as well. Uh, We come together for one another's sake. We come together for God's sake to worship him. 
Now, the fact is, all of life is worship, uh, from Romans chapters 12, verses 1 and 2, although at least it should be. Uh, But some people say, look, you don't really come to church to worship any more than you come to church to breathe. You're always breathing, you're always worshipping, so don't use the language of worship when we gather. I think, personally, that's a bit reductionistic. You know, the fact is that, you know, yes, we are always you know, seeking to be worshipping God all of our lives, but there is a place for gathering together and refocusing our hearts on him as we you know, press on in the battle of life day by day. That's why we, we sing, come thou fount of every blessing, tune my heart to sing your grace. Prone to wander, Lord, I feel it. Prone to leave the God I love. Here's my heart, take and seal it, seal it for thy courts above. So we're talking to God, we're worshipping God, we're having our hearts retuned when we gather vertically. Horizontal edification, vertical devotion. Well, in our, in our passage this morning, this theme uh, we're thinking about, another reason why we, why we gather, why we sing on a Sunday. Why do we sing rather than just state truth to one another? That's an interesting question. Why do we sing? It is what I would argue, thirdly, for what you might call spiritual gratification. Wow, what do I mean by that? Did I really say that? I did. We gather for each other's sake, yes. We gather for God's sake, yes. We sing for each other's sake, yes. We sing for God's sake, yes. And we also sing for our own sake. That is pretty huge. It's really good for us to be singing. It's good for other people. It's good for God. It's really good for you for you to be singing too. Well, I'm calling spiritual gratification. And now the OED defines gratification as pleasure, especially when gained from the satisfaction of a desire. I'm going to argue um, from, um, from God's word, uh, but we'll have a, a slightly longer introduction before we dive into Psalm 147, that um, the singing of God's praises as we gather week by week and the pleasure that it gives us, particularly in what God is for us, what he's done, is a really important part of why we gather. Uh, it's often neglected in um, the kind of evangelical circles that I move in, although it hasn't always been ne- neglected in church history or in Christian reflection. And so that's why we're thinking about um, enjoying God in song as we gather together. Now, before we um, think about the idea of enjoying God in song, we need to realise it's possible to fall off the horse in two equal and opposite directions. Uh, when we say we're to enjoy God in song, that spiritual gratification... We don't mean enjoying music in song. That's not what we're talking about. We're not talking about emotionalism. Now, that could be manufactured by a key change at a key part in the the song, or a big band sound, or the dimming of the lights, or even a kind of uh, an organ with kind of a four-part harmony that is kind of moving us to, to our being. I'm not talking about emotionalism and being kind of moved and enjoying the music per se. Uh, I was talking to uh, someone recently who is involved in running tech at uh, large Christian conferences. And he acknowledged how incredibly easy, incredibly easy, it is to control the emotions of the congregation from the back of the, from the, back of the, um, the, the marquee or whatever. Just simply playing with the sliders of the volume or the lighting control. He can literally manipulate the congregation so that the moment he does that watch and hands go up and he's like, wow, how is he... Do- That is a dangerous thing, isn't it? We're not to do that. That is something to really avoid. You can fall off your horse that way. He doesn't do it, by the way. There's great pressure in the industry to kind of manipulate. It can happen in in the kind of big, kind of contemporary worship band context. It can happen in the more classical, orchestral arrangement where we're full of hundreds of voices, massive, massive choir, and our hearts can run away with us and we're forgetting to engage our head. That's wrong too. 
Now, we've got to be very careful that we don't do that. It's, impo- it's possible to be the most impressive kind of worship leader, quote-unquote, who's doing all their stuff, but their hearts are far from God. So you may remember, well, if you don't, then let me remind you of Matthew 15, verse 8. Jesus says, these people honour me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. We can honour God with our songs and our music, but our hearts are far. So we've got to avoid that that kind of problem of, of, of this point. That's a wicked thing. God has got to be the centre of what takes place when we sing each week. Here's what Mark Ashton, um, uh, the late minister of uh, St. Andrew the Great Church in Cambridge, once said. What ought to make worship delightful to us is not in the first instance its novelty or its aesthetic beauty, but its object. God himself is delightfully wonderful and we learn to delight in him. So that's one way of falling off the horse into the emotional side. But there is another way of falling off the horse, and we've got to acknowledge that um, as, we, as we think. And that is falling off into a kind of anti-emotional side. And this may be more our experience or our temptation. Um, and uh, it's less enjoying music in song and more affirming God in statements. Okay, uh, And uh, what do I mean by that? Well, I mean that, yes, we're on board with horizontal edification. We're on board with vertical um, devotion. But the fact is, for us, we only are really concerned about the rational register. We're only thinking about that dimension to what is going on. Rightly, we're committed to good songs. And the fact is, there are so many amazing songs that are being written, really great theology, that we don't have time to sing more at Highfields. And if you have iTunes or Spotify, you can listen to some fantastic playlists of brilliant songs. You don't need to sing dud songs anymore, because such good ones are there. And it's right to sing good songs, which dot every I, theologically, cross every T, theologically, yes. And, um, and, and when we're so concerned about affirming God in our statements, we maybe only sing objective songs with no sense of the subjective in it. And maybe it's because we're concerned that you know, some churches have been characterised as a bit of a Jesus is my boyfriend kind of songs that get sung. And it's all very, very emotional. And we're so worried about going that way that we just move the other way. And it's simply statements, affirmations about God. But the fact is, the Bible commands us over 50 times to sing, to affirm statements, to say true things from our heads, but to have that kind of work its way down into our hearts and it bubble out in enjoyment. Put it another way, God is after our emotional lives. Uh, I guess often we think that emotions just are. They're just along by the events that happen. So when your team beats relegation on the last week of the season, like Everton uh, did this last week, fans can't help but sing and kind of flop in relief, in celebration. Or on the other end of the spectrum, maybe your family's had a diagnosis of, of some pretty serious news for a family member. And uh, it puts you in a spin. You can't help but feel anxious. Or when you fall in love with someone and maybe they ask you to marry you. You can't help but feel breathless if those things happen. Emotions just are, aren't they? Well, yes and no. You see, it's possible to fan and to fuel into flame the emotion of relief. As, say, the Everton fan looks at the horrors of being in the championship and all the money they'd lose. And it's the end of the road for Everton. And they're thinking, oh, but at last we're not there. And they can kind of inflame their relief. Or you could equally, if you're concerned about a diagnosis, you can work yourself into a frenzy with anxiety as you think about that. And that and that. And you can dwell on it and the emotions grow. 
Or you can deepen your love with someone as you invest time and and effort and commitment to someone. the, The love grows too. Well, so too you can, and I think the Bible calls us to fan and flame and fuel our emotional response to God. In the same way that you can actually throw a damp squib, a kind of cold bucket of water on all of that too. Uh, You see, there's something going on in singing that is greater than the sum of its parts. Um, And uh, that's why I think it was so traumatic for us when we couldn't sing at church. I don't know, you, we, we, we kind of... We'll look back in history as we were the generation that lived through that very weird time when we came to church and had to hum the, the song. I mean, what was that all about? You hum along or mouth the word silently. Now, I know loads of us were singing behind our mask. I know it. I, you could hear that. Um, but like, it was just so heartbreaking, traumatic. Now, some churches said, look, we're not going to sing. We can't sing, but we'll just say the words of the song. But that, there's something missing at that point, isn't there, when you simply state the words. And we're to enjoy God, rightly, spiritual gratification. Here's a, a one writer, Bob Coughlin. Singing, vi- uh, vibrant singing enables us to combine truth about God seamlessly with passion for God. Doctrine and devotion, mind and heart. Now we need to be clear that enjoying God in song is not a luxury, it's not a cherry on the top of an otherwise kind of vanilla kind of experience of God that we have day by day. Here's uh, John Piper, who's perhaps thought about this more than most in his book, Desiring God. Truth without emotion produces dead orthodoxy and a church full or half full of artificial admirers, like people who write generic anniversary cards for a living. I mean, what a great analogy. On the other hand, emotion without truth produces empty frenzy and cultivates shallow people who refuse the discipline of rigorous thought. But true worship comes from people who are deeply emotional and who love deep and sound doctrine. Strong affections for God rooted in truth are the bone and marrow of biblical worship. So, so I think that's very helpful. What is going on as we sing God's praises? Again, we need to be careful not to fall off the horse by being hyped up into emotionalism. Um, and the fact is we all have different emotional registers and will reflect and respond in different kinds of ways. I totally get that. But it's equally possible to fall off the other side too. Uh, John Piper there in Desiring God, his uh, very you know, helpful ministry over the years has been to popularise the teaching of the 18th century Puritan Jonathan Edwards. And this is what he uh, wrote uh, in, um, in one uh, essay. The duty of singing praises to God seems to be given wholly to excite and express religious affections. There is no other reason why we should express ourselves to God in verse rather than in prose, and with music, except that these have a tendency to move our emotions. How interesting that is. The fact is, you know, it's a bit of an irony, I was thinking about this, you know, a church, as indeed we have at times, put on a screen of a, of a sports fixture on a Saturday, maybe a, 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 a big football match or the Rugby World Cup final, and uh, you know, when we've done so, you're, you're watching the, the, the sport on a Saturday, emotions are rife, and there's jumping up and down, and hugging and weeping, and remorse, and <gasps> anticipation, lots of kind of external stuff, then the Sunday comes... And it's the same group of people, maybe, and we're singing powerful songs about much, much more important matters. And we're as, as kind of restrained and controlled as I think that's so interesting, isn't it? So interesting. 
Yeah, what's that all about? Now, again, I don't want to state that you have to respond in a certain way. It'd be possible to kind of engineer that and make people feel guilty if they weren't reacting the way someone else is doing. We've got different personalities. We've got to concede it, as per that introductory uh, you know, illustration. But the fact is, the reason that we have music and and verse on top of words is to move and engage with our emotions in a way that doesn't happen otherwise. And so what we're going to do, now we are actually going to dive into Psalm 147. Um, And uh, in a a helpful book uh, by the Gettys, they say, songs are food for the soul. What you sing and don't sing changes you. And so what we're going to do, we're going to allow the song of Psalm 147 to to rehearse God in our minds and our hearts. And uh, uh, we're going to see um, just a number of things. But the the, the psalmist begins in verse 1, praise the Lord, how good it is to sing praises to our God. How pleasant and fitting to praise him. This is an invitation to enjoy God. Now, our unbelieving family or friends um, might not understand Christian worship. There is nothing inappropriate about singing God's praises, even in the darkest times. Uh, Singing praises to God isn't something that we have got to do, but it's something that we get to do. And uh, it's, it's a, the, the most natural, appropriate response to who God is. It's a true response, and it's a beautiful response. It engages the head and the heart. So look down in verse 1. How pleasant and fitting to praise him. So in Psalm 1, the, uh, verse 1, sorry, the psalmist states the truth and the beauty of enjoying God in song. And uh, then in verse 7, he um, upgrades that to a full-throated call or summons to worship. And uh, jump down to verse 7. Sing to the Lord with grateful praise. Make up. Use your voice. Turn, so here we are, look down, verse, uh, use your voice, sing to him. And then it says, use your instruments in the harp. Turn the inner private posture of your heart into an outward public declaration of praise. Uh, that's what we're called to do. And then again in verse 12 we read, look down in verse 12. Extol the Lord Jerusalem, praise your God's eye. At this point the psalmist is inviting all of God's people to sing God's praises. You you know friends, God doesn't need our praises. If I can put it this way, God isn't sitting in, in in his divine glorious heavenly isolation, kind of waiting endlessly, are they going to like me, are they going to you know, praise me, are they going to worship me? You know, like some kind of anxious teenagers kind of going through their Instagram feed, thinking, someone like this, I'm doing all this stuff, someone like me. God isn't like that. He's not anxious. He is completely whole in his glorious triune life. But it's so good to sing his praises. So Psalm 37 verse 4 says, Take delight in the Lord and he will give you the desires of your heart. The fact is, as we sing to God in our vertical devotion, The experience feedback loops back to us and it fills our hearts with joy. It really does. And that's a right thing and a good thing. I think few people have got this better than C.S. Lewis, who wrote a book called The Reflections on the Psalms. This is what he says. I think we delight to praise what we enjoy because the praise not merely expresses but completes the enjoyment. It is its appointed consummation. I think that's a really helpful line. Uh, What Lewis is saying there is that Praise isn't simply the appropriate outworking of our joy, but in a way it deepens our joy, it completes our joy, it makes the joy whole and fulfilled when we praise and when we kind of pour it out in front of other people. 
The fact is, great experiences in our kind of human you know, life always need to be shared. That is why I'm quite sure that people often do put stuff on social media because they've had a great experience. They've got to tell people. I remember when I, I, um, I proposed to Sally, I, I uh, flew her out to Paris for a day and I took her to the Eiffel Tower and proposed. And uh, she said yes. And I basically kind of <laughs> kept telling people, I've just got engaged, I've just got engaged. She's like, who's this weirdo? You know, I've, I've, I just had to tell people it wasn't complete until I told people. Well, how does the psalmist in Psalm 147 encourage us to enjoy God in song and to kind of complete that loop of worship that kind of blesses other people, gives glory to God, but does good for us? Well, well what we're going to do is we're going to walk through, we're going to see five very quick aspects of God in this psalm. And, uh, and you know, it's a little bit like a, a gallery that the Gettys described. The Book of Psalms is a portrait gallery of God himself that cause us to delight in him. So let's see five very brief things for the rest of our time. Firstly, enjoying God in the singing of his tenderness. That's verses two and three. Enjoying God in the singing of his tenderness. The Lord builds up Jerusalem. He gathers the exiles of Israel. He heals the brokenhearted and binds up their wounds. The fact is, friends, Christians don't just sing when we're winning. That's what's the most beautiful thing about about gathered worship. It's not just when we're having a good day that we want to come and sing. We sing when we're broken with David in Psalm 34. Uh, We sing when we're barren with Hannah in 1 Samuel 2. We sing when we've been bad with David in Psalm 51. Remember the Psalms that were songs. Songs set to music. We sing when we've been betrayed with David in Psalm 41. The context of our passage is, of course, the exile, that devastating moment in the history of God's people, where God's people lost the promised land that had been offered to them all their lives. And they'd looked forward to it, and yet it was taken away from them. And they're just, they're just broken-hearted. And we don't really understand the trauma of exile today, um, but many people do understand what it's like to be taken away from their home. We've prayed already for... Uh, Ukrainian brothers and sisters. I was uh, speaking, I, t- I said last week at this uh, UFM conference in Italy, and I think I mentioned last week this missionary that I met who'd just been taken out of Kharkiv and uh, supporting these reformed evangelical churches. You know, loads of church plants he's been involved in. 120 in his church. Three months ago, there's now five in his church. And they're in exile in nine different countries and he's trying to support them and pray for them and connect them with local churches and pass them remotely. Maybe you saw at the start of, of uh, the lockdown, uh, excuse me, the start of the invasion, a very powerful video that was doing the rounds of some Ukrainian believers in a home singing the hymn, He Will Hold Me Fast. Do you know that, you know, that hymn we sing at Highfields? And oh, my goodness me, what a powerful song. It's an amazing song to sing at the best of times. But when your world is falling in, to sing, he will hold me fast, for my saviour loves me so he will hold me fast. That's, that's what we do when we sing of his tenderness, he knows me. During the pains of a trial, the raging temptation we may face, the, the heartbreak of miscarriage, the loss of disappointment, the, the shame of failure. It's if when we sing these truths, God needs the truths from our heads into our hearts. We realise once more that this great God of creation is the God of tenderness. He's so tender with us. Others fail us, he never will fail us. Leaders will bully us, he'll never bully us. Heroes disappoint us, he'll never disappoint us. 
I'm not sure if you've read many of the older Puritan books. They're quite hard to read, but one brilliant book to read is by Richard Sibbs called The Bruised Reed. The Bruised Reed, he will not break. The smouldering wick, he'll not snuff out. We may think, oh, come on, just get rid of that. Now, he'll never do that to you. So, friends, will we be spiritually gratified by enjoying God in the singing of his tenderness? But never think that God's tenderness is uh, to suggest a weakness or a smallness on his part. You might think, oh, that's tender, that's because he's so kind of you know, small and impotent. No, not at all. He is the king of the universe. He's absolutely in control of it all. Which brings us to our second point, enjoying God in the singing of his knowledge. Verse 4, he determines the number of the stars and calls them each by name. Great is our Lord and mighty in power. His understanding has no limit. The Lord sustains the humble, but casts the wicked to the ground. His power, forstive, never running out of bandwidth, never out of his depth, never loses your email in his inbox and never gets back to you. No, he knows it all. He knows us so well. How do we know he knows us? Because he knows every star by name. There are loads of stars. Really, there are loads and loads of stars. Latest count, there's about 10,000 times more stars in the sky than human words have ever been spoken since the beginning of time. Like, that's nuts! And he knows them all by name. And he knows you by name. When I look to the heavens and see the stars, what is man that you're mindful of him, the son of man that you care for him? But you've made us a little lower than the angels, crowned us with glory and honour. He knows you better than you know yourself. I don't know whether you know yourself very well. Sometimes ourselves are very complicated. Certainly one of the biggest challenges of, of being a father or a mother is knowing what our kids need best. Sometimes they need a challenge. Sometimes they need a hug. Sometimes they need listening to. Sometimes they need, they need some kind of time to cool off. Sometimes they just need a walk outside. Sometimes they need... You know, food, sometimes they need sleep. You know, Sally is so much better at kind of identifying exactly what the kids need when they need it. Uh, and maybe you've got a thousand and one things flying around your head and you don't know what to do. You don't, I don't know what I need. He knows what you need. He knows exactly what you need when you need it. Father-like, he tends and spares us. Well, our feeble frame he knows. In his hands, he gently bears us, rescues us from all our foes praise him praise him widely as his mercy flows so brother and sister today if you love jesus christ will you be spiritually gratified by enjoying god in the singing of his knowledge he knows it all so well point three enjoying god in the singing of his providence not only does he know what we need he has absolutely power to deliver on what we need he's the king of providence He covers the sky with clouds. He supplies the earth with rain and makes grass grow on the hills. He provides food for the cattle and for the young ravens when they call. I love verse 8. Clearly this psalmist was Welsh. Praise God for the clouds in the sky. Um, um, Though actually, of course, if you were living in the Middle East and uh, here, we love several months of sun. But then it could be sunny all the time and you're longing for the clouds, you're longing for the rain. And the rain is a lifeline. The rain is, there's going to be grass, there's going to be crops, there's going to be food on the table. We'll last another year. Life can continue. And so as we sing of his provision for big and small, the cattle, the ravens, when they call, God provides, he provides, he provides. As we sing those truths... The truths are needed into our hearts 
that remind us of his provision for all our needs. There's no mismatch between our need and his provision. They fit like a glove. He has everything at his disposal. So the big question is, will we trust him? Will we be spiritually gratified by enjoying God in the singing of his providence? He knows what's best. Doesn't always give it to us at the time we call. That's not the promise, but he has it all at his disposal and he's a loving father to care for us when we need it. The good times, the hard times, all times are in his hand. But how does God make provision for his people? What's his aim or, 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 or means, excuse me, of making provision? Well, that brings us to point four. Enjoy God in the singing of his word. As the passage moves on, his word just comes through again and again. Verse 15. He sends his command to the earth. His word runs swiftly. He spreads the snow like wool, scatters the frost like ashes. Verse 17. He hurls down his hail like pebbles. Who can withstand his icy blast? He sends his word and melts them. He stirs up his breezes and the waters flow. The God of creation holds us together by his word. He made creation by his word. He sustains us here, right now. He keeps the ink on the page of the Bible because of his word. But God doesn't simply use his word out there, far away in cosmic kind of dimensions. He uses his word here. He brings his word near. Verse 19. He has revealed his word to Jacob, his laws and decrees to Israel. He's done this for no other nation. They do not know his laws. There's no other nation who's been party to a revelation from God himself except the people of God. So when we don't know what to turn to or where we to go, will we sing of his guidance? Guide me, that great Jehovah, you need to guide me to hold me with your word by your hand. Will we feel failures? Will we sing of his call, I'll never leave you or forsake you? As we sing those truths, the truth drum back into our hearts. When we feel afraid, will we sing of his strength? No one else has he done this for you. <laughs> You're not going alone against a foe, he's with you. He's promised to hold you and stick closer than a brother. Tell out my soul the glories of his word. Firm is his promise and his mercy sure. So friends, will you be spiritually gratified by enjoying God in the singing of his word? What good is there to be found as we do that? But there are two verses in the passage and I I skipped over it. I don't know whether you spotted uh, me as as I jumped over it in in verses 10 and 11. We've been talking about enjoying God in song and, and the joy of thinking about him and setting our hearts on him. Do you know what? People aren't the only people doing the enjoying in this psalm. This is so fantastic. Hidden in the middle of the psalm, the middle is often the climax of of Hebrew poetry, what we read, verse 10. His pleasure, his enjoyment, is not in the strength of the horse, nor his delight in the legs of the warrior. Unlike the gods of the ancient days it's not impressive military that uh, God is 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 proud about or likes to have kind of bragging rights amongst the gods or look at how big my army is look at how big my horses are look how many tanks I've got how much military power I've got so that's that's not that's not what gives God the joy what gives God the greatest joy verse 11 the Lord delights not in the horse or the warrior the Lord delights in those who fear him who put the hope in his unfailing love. Which brings us to point five, enjoying God as he enjoys you. <laughs> that is that. The stars are mind-blowing. This is totally mind-blowing, right? 
while we're thinking about enjoying God in heaven, there's an enjoying believers in song conference going on, um, service today. Right now, he's thinking about us as he thinks about people who've turned and trusted in him. He's, what have we got to be enjoyed in? Like, seriously, look, just look at us. Like, why would you enjoy us? God's not a grumpy God. Jesus is not a measy, miserly Messiah. A reluctant rescuer. If I absolutely have to, I'll save them. If I can't. For goodness sake, it's just pathetic. I can help you out again. That is not Jesus. He's on the edge of his seat. He delights to hear our prayers. He delights to see us sing. He delights to know our trust is in him. And I'm just going, if I'm absolutely master, I, I said I'd save you, so I guess I've got to kind of come good at my word. Not at all. His pleasure is not in the strength of the horse, the, delight, the legs of the warrior. The Lord delights. He delights. Fills his heart with joy. Those who fear him, who put their hope in his unfailing love. It, you can't help but think of that very famous other uh, Old Testament passage from Zephaniah chapter 3, verses 14 to 17. And with this passage, we will close. Sing, daughter Zion. Shout aloud, Israel. Again, context of, of uh, return from exile and the hope that comes with that. Be glad and rejoice with all your heart. Daughter Jerusalem, the Lord has taken away your punishment. He has turned back your enemy. The Lord, the King of Israel is with you. Never again will you fear any harm. On that day, they will say to Jerusalem, do not fear Zion. Do not let your hands hang limp. Verse 17, have a look at verse 17. The Lord your God is with you. He will take great delight in you. In his love, he'll no longer rebuke you but will rejoice over you with singing. The heart disposition that enjoys God in fear and in hope and in trust and repentance, acknowledgement that we're not the people we should be, but Lord, with you is grace. That causes him to rejoice. He delights to give grace. He delights in his people. It's a hypnotic dance of joy where where we enjoy him and he enjoys us. We've seen today a call to spiritual gratification. A call to enjoy God in song. It gives him glory, we've seen, as we rehearse our dependence on him. Our gratitude for him, our hope in him, our trust in him, our love for him. It can't fail to give him glory. And it gives us the greatest joy in the world when we do. So let's keep doing it. For one another, for him, and for our own hearts as we sing his praises week after week. Let's bow our heads and pray. He rules the world with truth and grace and makes the nations prove the glories of his righteousness and the wonders of his love. How good it is to sing praises, how pleasant and fitting it is to praise you, our God. Lord, we praise you so much for the joy of gathering, the joy of singing your praises. We praise you that you glory hearts that lift up their hope and their joy in you. What gives you glory gives us joy. How, how kind you are. You don't ask us to glorify you by doing something that is a horrible, nasty experience. This is a joyful thing, to sing your praises, to delight in you. Please help us to have you as our greatest treasure. 
more than anything else. And we pray in your son's beautiful and precious name. Amen.